This show is brought to you by Whatever You Say Productions, starting conversations since 2018. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Microscope. We're delighted to have you here with us. My name is Samantha. My name is Mike, and today we have a special guest for you all. Her name is Bianca Cruz. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Welcome, Bianca. This is so excited. Bianca, you are our first guest. You are first, you're our first interviewee on this show. How does it feel to be the first of hopefully many? Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here with you guys. Um, well, th- this is definitely very exciting. Um, this I is... know. <laughs> so excited. Have you ever done a podcast or is this your first time? This is my first time, so yes. that's especially exciting. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, you know what? Today we're going to be talking about marine snow, which is what Bianca is an expert in. But before we get into that, because Mike and Bianca are going to kind of, they're going to take it away. They're going to get super high level. They're going to get into it. But before we get there, I want to give everyone a chance to really get to know you. So my first question is, Bianca, how did you settle on marine microbiology or marine biology? You're sort of both. Like, how did you stumble into this field? Yeah, so this goes all the way back from when I was a little girl. So I was born in Puerto Rico, which is a tropical island, very, very much different from Arizona, which is where I'm at right now. Um, And so I've always had this passion towards the ocean and just studying the environment and the system within it at all. Um, And just happens to be that in Arizona, um, there is just a marine microbiologist, or I guess what it what she calls herself a plankton ecologist and so as doing my undergrad at arizona state university i joined her lab and i just started growing more of a passion towards the little smaller organisms in the ocean rather than the bigger uh, more charismatic fauna like what people would normally be interested like in, a whale, like, exactly. a like a whale like a whale like a dolphin <laughs> or sea turtle right, right. that's really cool so in studying this. Can you talk to me a little bit about what's it like being a woman in science? Do you find that there's a lot of other women and are they sort of like you? Or do you find that you're a little bit outnumbered by the guys? I would say specifically for oceanography, it is still very um, male dominated, I would say. For biological oceanography, so more of the biology side of things, it is starting to be more female dominated. But believe it or not, my mentor is actually the first generation of females in biological oceanography. So really, that's so cool. I did not know that. I think it will be a second generation. So it is definitely very nerve wracking when I go to a conference and give a talk and mainly the, you know, the most famous people are male scientists. (laughs) (laughs) And the room is just men. There's um, men looking at you. Yeah, oh, predominantly. So it is definitely nerve-wracking, but at the same time, it's inspiring. Inspiring Absolutely. to have, you know, this uh, drive to be a role model of some sort for future generations. You're definitely a role model. You're a role model for me, and I have a feeling you're a little bit younger than me. So it's whatever. I think this is fabulous. I mean, I can relate. I work in sales in New York City, and that is 100% male-dominated, and I'm constantly having to elbow these guys out of the way uh, so that I can win that business and get that account and you know be a top performer, and it's not easy. It's exhausting. So I totally get it, and I love that you persevere because you're doing something so important. So tell me, like, what's life like 
for you? Are you spending a lot of your time in a lab or are you out in the field or is it sort of 50-50? What does that look like? Yeah, so for my research, I'm more of a 50-50. I spend time in the lab, still working with some of the organisms that, the, that I work with on the lab bench, um, and as well as conducting field work. So I spend some time also out in the middle of the ocean on a research vessel or on a huge boat, essentially. Oh my. And what's it like conducting research on a boat while also living on a boat? Oh my God, it's crazy. So speaking of <laughs> how the field is mainly male dominated, believe it or not, on a boat that does not matter whether you're male or female. It's such a closed environment where everyone is so close to each other. Sampling happens at 24 hours a day. Um, and due to the fact that there's just not just biological oceanographers, but there's chemists, there's physicists. So if someone gets a sample and they see this cool organism that they can't identify, they call in the biologist. It's like, what is this? And then <laughs> it's just a very cooperative, really, really cool atmosphere where it does not matter really like beyond just the excitement and the science. That's great. So I'm so happy to hear that, actually. I'm so happy. And also the fact that they're like, collecting samples and doing studies throughout the entire day. Yes, exactly. It's not just like a nine to five thing on a boat. Mm -mm. Well, Mike likes to grab at anything living, any living plant walking <laughs> home from work. He'll call me and he'll be like, oh, on my way home from work, the strip mall just planted some new things and I grabbed some and stuffed them in my backpack. I'm like, Mike, landscaping is so expensive. You can't do that. He's like, well, I just took a little bit. It's fine. Yeah, just a little clipping. I could cultivate that myself. I didn't kill the whole plant. Ecologist things. <laughs> That's so cool to be on a boat for like doing all those awesome experiments. But how long does it actually take you to get out to the location that you'll be sampling at? Oh, so it like, actually, is it weeks? no, it actually only takes about eight hours to get to oh, this study bad. station that we're at, right? It's just once we deploy the equipment that we use to collect our samples that we have to let them sit out for periods of time. And what do you do? Meanwhile, while you're waiting for your samples to be collected, so you help other scientists as well. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you've made like long lasting friends while you're on the boat or at least collaborations? Absolutely, absolutely, because there's so much, like I said, sometimes in between sampling and experiments that you yeah. just talk science, essentially. Oh, mm -hmm. that sounds like something I want to do. Bianca, I have a question for you. When you're out in the field and you're collecting all these samples, is any of that regulated? Like, does the government or does your university that you're studying with have any sort of a cap? Like, all right, guys, when we go out, you can only grab 10 samples of this and this and this, and that's it. Or is it just a free-for-all and you can take whatever you want? <laughs> so is the dream come true? Because it is actually free-for-all oh, once wow. you get money. <laughs> that is the main hassle is like, can you convince the federal government that what you're doing, collecting is important enough? And that's essentially it. Once you're out there, you can collect even a little bit more than what you had proposed if it's just going to be at the same time, right? But cool. it is mostly just acquiring that money for the ship time that is the hassle. Got it. Okay. So outside of the lab, woman to woman, who are you outside of work? Do you have favorite hobbies, favorite TV shows that you can never miss? Talk to me about who you are outside of all that. Right, so hobby-wise, I'm more of an outdoorsy person, so I do a lot of hiking, uh, camping, and as much as I can trying to get out to the coast and to the beach. 
to where I feel like I belong. Um, as well as when it comes to TV shows, I like to watch anime. One Punch Man season two just came out, by the way. Is it on Netflix? It's on Hulu. Oh, oh I need a Hulu <laughs> yes. account. Oh. Mike, if you can teach yourself how to post on social media at least once a day, I will give you my Hulu login. Fair? Oh, fair. Fine. Jeez. <laughs> oh, God. That's so much social media interaction. I don't know how I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to turn into a Generation Zer. Oh, my God. That's, well, no, you're a millennial, dear, whether you like it or not. <laughs> no, Welcome. I'm glad I'm a millennial. Yeah, me too. Thank goodness. A young All millennial right. for the viewers. Very young. Yeah, young same. and spry. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I am going to get out of the way, and I'm going to let you guys take it away and talk about marine snow and how it's connected to climate change. Um, so I'm just going to sit here and listen. So take it away. Awesome. Thank you, Sam. So, all right, let's start off because I think the topic of this whole show or this this episode is going to be about marine snow. So can you just talk a little bit about what marine snow is? Yeah, absolutely. So marine snow are essentially particles in the water that are made out of, for example, phytoplankton or I guess water plants, photosynthetic organisms, as well as other matter that would be suspended in the water. And um, so these particles are essentially like the vehicles of carbon to the deep ocean um, in any open ocean environment as well as coastal ocean environment. Okay, so because they're a vehicle for carbon, love that by the way. Did I already tell you I'm probably gonna take that? Okay, so <laughs> so because they're a vehicle for carbon, they probably play a really big role in climate change. Yeah, right. And so I'm guessing because if they're a vehicle for carbon to sink down to the bottom of the ocean, they actually help to reduce levels of CO2 in the atmosphere? That's exactly what they do. So uh, the, essentially what occurs is that the phytoplankton, they photosynthesize, acquire carbon from the atmosphere, and then these phytoplankton sink down the deep ocean. And essentially this is how, for example, carbon sequestration happens through the, the transport of this carbon through marine snow. Awesome. So about, okay, so this has been going on for millions and millions of years, right? So like as long as phytoplankton have been around. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I guess as the CO2, right, so CO2 is increasing in the atmosphere. We know that. Mm -hmm. Does that play at all into blooms of phytoplankton because they have more food? So is there just like more of them? Are we seeing an increase in marine snow? Yeah, so essentially we are seeing that through, for example, eutrophication. So eutrophication is when there is a say, very significant increase of nutrient input to coastal oceans or the open ocean, um, but more usually the coastal ocean. Coastal, so just, okay. Yes. And so co by coastal, is that like 10 miles away from the coast, 20 miles, or like hundreds of miles away from it the coast? It can even be hundreds of miles. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. all right. So as far as like any type of like river input could, could go play through, into which, that. Yes, okay. exactly. But then so the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere doesn't play a role in the amount of phytoplankton. It actually is a combination between the eutrophication, so the availability of nutrients, and then you have more carbon, so more to photosynthesize. So that okay. also plays a role. But of course, that ends up being a little bit of a negative feedback because you also have warming of the ocean, which can be 
you know, pretty killing off yes, all the phytoplankton. Exactly. Yeah. One of our earlier episodes was about um, corals and how important they are to sort of like the, not the base of the food chain, but they're like a large portion of like at least our seafood food chain. And I think the warming as well as like eutrophication, that's a word I didn't know. So that's definitely killing all of them off and like in a bad way. And I guess it's doing the same thing to the phytoplankton, right. which kind of is the, it's sad in a way because you think that there's this natural way to pull carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere, but because it's getting to a point where it's getting too warm that they're all dying off and they can't, that downward pull of carbon into the ocean is almost going away as a result of climate right, change. Right, but that also varies with the different types of phytoplankton as well. So the larger phytoplankton groups would probably see more of a negative effect from um, climate change and warming, etc. But maybe, at least from findings of my research, is that the smaller phytoplankton are actually going to be increasing in abundance with the warming oceans. So... So... Uh... Uh, well, good. Isn't that good? It, it, good it, it, it and is bad. in a way, <laughs> but it's like a multi-stressor type thing, right? So there's so many variables, so many factors playing into it. It's very hard to even just do any research in general because your controls, what are your controls, right? <laughs> yeah, you don't have any controls. So you were talking about small versus large phytoplankton, and you study the small phytoplankton. So how... I guess, what's the cutoff between a small and a large phytoplankton? Are these like two different families or species of phytoplankton? I guess I would say when it comes to the organisms that I study, which are really, really small, I just say relative, more, it's more like a relative definition. So it's like relatively smaller. The ones that I study are less than two micron in size. So that's, that's, okay, okay. I so would they're say not that bacteria. it's almost like, uh, they are bacteria size. Okay, they are okay. the same size as bacteria. Okay, so right. probably like a, trillion times smaller than the tip of a needle that's yeah. about where it, it is in regards to size so yeah it's a very 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 small huh and this this is i might be showing how not smart i am but phytoplankton are not bacteria right they're protists some are actually considered to be bacteria so if they photosynthesize okay. and if they are at the mercy of the currents which is what plankton stands oh, for okay right? okay yes yeah, so, okay. so plankton um, so, isn't like an overarching class of organisms of organisms that are just at the mercy of currents so okay, plankton comes okay. from greek planktos oh okay that, yeah, okay so that phytoplankton literally includes so any photosynthetic so, small organisms that yeah, are controlled because there's by bacteria the bacteriaplankton oh wow that oh that's so interesting i did not yeah. know that okay did, did all of the viewers hear that <laughs> that that's good knowledge so okay is there any particular so i guess we already talked about this in that any photosynthesizing organism has the ability to play a role in marine snow. Right. Is, yes. Okay. Yeah. So you were saying that smaller phytoplankton, so I'm guessing those are the bacteriophytoplankton? So bacteriophytoplankton as well as just the smaller phytoplankton that I just, study. Okay. So anything less than 20 micron or 2 microns. Is there a mechanism by which they're going to increase in population because of climate change. Because, like, you would think that the larger ones might be able to resist the environmental factors better than the smaller ones. 
or do I have that backwards? Yeah, uh, it's a tricky situation, right? Because like I said, it's like a multi-stressor type thing. So many variables, so many factors playing into it. But the main idea is that um, the smaller phytoplankton, they're smaller, right? So they're also going to require less nutrients. In the coastal regions, when we while we have eutrophication, which is increase of nutrients, in the open ocean, we actually have the opposite which is a decrease of nutrients. So with a decrease of nutrients, these phytoplankton essentially are going to do better because they need less nutrients because they're so small. Mm. So we would actually see more of an increase of the smaller guys in, in the, the deep ocean, oh. in the open ocean open regions ocean. that okay. are far away from the coast, which okay. is what actually covers, which is the vast majority of the ocean. It's just open ocean far away from a coast. So I guess, do we already see sort of like Closer to the coastal regions, we see larger phytoplankton and more in the open ocean, we see smaller ones. Yes, that is okay. already known. That's uh, like yep. very well documented. Okay, because that would make sense, right? <clears throat> so we're talking about eutrophication and all of these nutrients playing a role. Are there any nutrients in particular other than carbon that is a key driver like I know in a lot of algal blooms that occur like off the coast of um, or in like riverways close to farms, nitrogen, that's like a big cause, nitrogen and phosphorus. Right. Are those, so are there any nutrients that play a role in the phytoplanktons? Yeah, so it would also be nitrogen and phosphorus. So it, it would be coming Those also, two key important yes, elements. So it would also be coming, like you said, from river input, from any type of like human or anthropogenic uh, type of impact. So agriculture, farms, things like that. What is that phrase for like the important elements for life? Is it schnapps, chomps? It is schnapps, I think. Schnapps? It's, oh, no, yeah. S isn't, no, well... Okay, so carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, chants. I don't even know. I don't know. know. <laughs> it's close enough. But I think so, like, the important elements to think about in terms of, like, like life and especially, like, biogeochemical cycling is carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur. Sulfur is, like, something I really do love. Because in not all forms does it smell. I promise you that. So... I, getting back to your research, right, so you're trying to understand, well, why don't you tell me, what is like the main question of your project? Yeah, so um, it is actually traditionally believed in biological oceanography that the smaller phytoplankton, which are the ones that are most abundant in the open ocean, like we just discussed, that they actually don't contribute significantly to marine snow formation. However, we still see marine snow in those open ocean regions where these small organisms are abundant. So where's this marine snow coming from then? So essentially my research questions involve what are the mechanisms by which these organisms may actually contribute? And then in the end, do they actually con contribute in the field? Um, I do a lot of laboratory experiments with cultures of some of these um, organisms and just going back and forth lab and field can we actually translate this to do they contribute or not? So in my field myself, I know it's really difficult to grow environmental bacteria in the lab. Do you find that as, so I feel like ocean seawater might be slightly easier to replicate than like, let's say soil or like even like on the surface of the rock, just cause I mean, guess maybe I don't know all the different components of ocean water. So, okay, my question is, 
do you find culturing of organisms in the lab difficult? Oh my gosh, I could even just start <laughs> crying right now in front of everybody how difficult it is to culture these finicky I things. Know, I know. Holy shit. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> they grow, sometimes word. they don't grow. Yeah, so the, the tricky thing is that the ocean, in the ocean, you are in a three-dimensional type of system, right? It's very mixed. It changes all the time. So it is literally almost impossible to replicate that type of environment in just a flask in the lab. So for example, one of the organisms I work with, it is called Prochlorococcus. So it is- Oh, actually... that's, a, that's a big one. I know that one. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it is a cyanobacterium. It is actually, believe it or not, the, I'm pretty sure the single most abundant phototroph on earth. Um, Speaking and, of, sorry, no, finish, finish your thought and, process. And so this guide to culture is very, very difficult, especially without the presence of bacteria, heterotrophic bacteria, because they're dependent on bacteria present in the environment for them to survive. Really? They are literally just chloroplasts because they all they can do is photosynthesize. They are barely able, able to do anything else because they're so small. They have such a small genome. So what do they what do they get from the other heterotrophs? Oh, do they not fix their own carbon? Yeah, so they fix their own carbon, but in doing that, they also produce toxins as well. <laughs> right. And they need the How did evolution bacteria. not take care I, of that? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I'm sure there are papers on that out there. Yeah. Um, but they essentially completely relied on heterotrophic bacteria to get rid of those toxins that they themselves produce. That's interesting. That's interesting. So did you see that paper by um, – so I was like really into pangenomes for a little bit. Okay. So pangenomes is comparing all the genomic content from one group of organisms. So did you see that pangenome on Prochlorococcus by, uh, I want to say it was Marin et al. Oh my God, that's insane. No, I've not seen that. Oh my God, I'll send it to me. Yes, I will. I will. <laughs> it was like super interesting because I think they were comparing marine Prochlorococcus and then freshwater Prochlorococcus. Literally, I feel like I just got a crash course and that was amazing. So thank you both so much for running through all that with us. And Bianca, I know that we said this off air, but let's just say it on air. You can touch marine snow, right? Yes, you can. <laughs> it is safe to the touch. Well, you know, I just... And it's not harmful too. It's not no, harmful. No, it is not. Unless you are swimming in a harmful algal bloom, which you shouldn't in the first place. Yes, well, that's... <laughs> well, probably can't swim in that. It's like this. I love it. So, all right. When we end each episode, we love to talk to our listeners and let them know what they can do at home to make sure they're having a more positive impact on the world around them. So since we're talking about water and summer is quickly going to be upon us, I was reading- Has it already been the first yet? The first day of summer, I think, has passed. No, dear. The first day of spring has passed. Oh, that's what I said. No. <laughs> <laughs> So, Bianca, I was reading an article recently that was talking about some harmful ingredients in certain sunscreens. Can you talk to us about what those ingredients are and what effect they have? And I think it was on the coral reefs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so actually uh, some research has been shown recently uh, that, let me see if my memory serves right, that the two ingredients in sunscreen uh, that affect corals will be oxybenzone, and I believe the other one is octinoxate. Uh, so they've been shown to actually prevent corals from uh, recovering from bleaching events, which is essentially what leads to the death of corals. Uh, there are some alternatives out there of sunscreens that do not have 
uh, either of these ingredients. They may be a little bit more expensive, but absolutely worth it to make sure that your coral reefs are as intact as possible. So very important for the base of the marine environment at all. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then, Mike, you were saying that the sunscreen itself does not have to be organic, right? You just have to no, make sure no. it doesn't have those two ingredients in it. Exactly. And to be honest, I don't even know if you could make organic sunscreen. Right. Like, what is that? Sunscreen mean? is like all purified from plants already or like synthetically made in the lab. Yeah. And yeah. also, I'd like to add, you know, if you're going to be out on a boat, whether it's a big boat or just a little boat, make sure that you guys are bringing a garbage bag with you to dispose of all of your waste. Um, a lot of times, like I will bring, I, I will, I will bring, <laughs> I will bring um, a couple like um, garbage bags on a boat with me and then I'll tie them to something so they don't fly away with all my garbage. Just little things like that. Make sure that you're not letting wrappers fly into the water. Be careful about the sunscreen you're putting on your body. Try not to bring straws to the beach that aren't, you know, biodegradable. All that good stuff. You guys know the normal things. And then, of course, also try not to leave your things at the beach. You'd be surprised. At my beach club, the lost and found is just a smorgasbord of chairs and tubes and towels. I don't know I how I would people, take all of those. Right? Those like, are I don't all know, mine. <laughs> I don't know how people, you know, make it home without a towel. Do they go home naked? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. But anyways, yes, just be very careful and be conscientious when you're spending time uh, outside this year. So, Bianca, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun having you, and I really appreciate your time and I hope that this will encourage other people out there who might be interested in joining us to come on. We don't bite. This is pretty easy. Mike, don't you think we're we're pretty easy and lovable to work we with? We are easy. We're lovable. We don't bite hard, I think. Oh, my God. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but seriously. I just, like a cute little, just like a cute little nibble, just so we can get like a taste of who <laughs> you are as a not- person. This is not Dixon politics. This is microscope. This is a different audience. Speak oh, to the audience. audience. Okay. Right. <laughs> no, but seriously, I think a lot of people are interested in podcasting. But first of all, it's a lot of hard work and it can be very intimidating. But we would love to welcome some other researchers onto the show, even people that are a part of maybe local groups or organizations that are observing what's happening in the environments in their own backyard. We would be tickled to welcome you to the show. So please do feel welcome to um, email us or slide into our DMs, whatever makes the most sense. So once again, thank you very much for joining us. My name is Samantha. My name is Mike. And I'm Bianca. And thank you all for joining us today. And for listening to Microscope. Thank you for listening to Microscope, presented by Whatever You Say Productions. Learn more at microscopepodcast.com. That's M-I-K-R-O-S-C-O-P-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com.